Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. All right, good. Well, hey, you ready to jump into God's Word now? I am. Okay, good. Why don't you get your Bibles, Bible apps out. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter number four, excuse me, Matthew chapter five, verse 14. Matthew five fourteen. Hey guys, I want my life to count, don't you? I, I do. I, uh, I, I know that every single one of us, just like you do, we're, we're all on this earth for a purpose. We're not here just to take up space. You have a calling and a purpose and a function and a role. But how that actually plays out for every single one of us is a little bit different. But fortunately, there's a common core to it. There's something we all have in common. And it's this, is that we are ambassadors of Jesus. We are attractive, official representatives of Jesus on this earth. And how's that? I like that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 talks about this. Look at it here in your Bibles on the screens. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You, 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 you. Here's a cool thing. Do you know that in another place, uh, Jesus also says, I am the light of the world? So Jesus is the light of the world, and you are the light of the world. How does that work? Are you Jesus? No, you are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. You have his spirit in you. Therefore, the light comes out of you too. Pretty awesome. All right, look at this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. Beautiful. You're the light of Jesus right there. You have A command from Jesus to shine brightly, to give God praise, and other people to see the works that you're doing, and they'll give God praise as well, all right? That's actually the core to everything that we're called to do in this world, because it all comes right back to that. In other words, so don't hide out in some spiritual bunker. Put your feet on the street and shine for Jesus. So that's the title of my message today. It's this, it is, put your feet on the street, which is actually a perfect message for Cowtown Marathon Sunday, you know? It's the, it's the Sunday where one of the fun tasks of getting to church for a downtown church is if you can get through all the road closures and find your way through the maze, then you actually win. And you, it's, it, because it's always a little bit of adventure doing church with city life. But, but I do use the word street for a purpose. There's some terminology you have heard around here, and it's called cultural streets. You've heard it, and if you're newer to city life, you may not know exactly what all of that is about, but, but, but I want to just give you a little bit of insight into that right now. A cultural street is this. It is where people regularly cross paths within a certain sphere of our society. For example, if you work, or if you volunteer, or you uh, you you are a student in education, then you're going to be around other educators, you're going to be around uh, students and education uh, administrators, and you are crossing paths constantly with those people in the education sphere of society. You understand that? So I would say if that was the case, then, then the education cultural street is kind of where you are. Um, you actually have unique access 
to others on the education cultural street and you have a unique influence with them regardless of where you are on there with that much more than I do. See, because that's actually where you might be called to be a representative of Jesus. That's where you let your light shine bright. That's where you let your works be seen so God gets the glory. And it's, here's, the, here's the deal. It's very, very possible that you're calling your purpose, your role, and your function as a light bearer of Jesus, if you're on the education cultural street, is actually within that, that mix in there somehow. Now, around here, we've identified seven cultural streets at our church, and here they are. They are family, business, arts and entertainment, faith, government, education, and health and vitality. And, and some of you, you function on uh, possi- you know, more than one, maybe two, or possibly even three of these cultural streets. It's kind of like some of you are like at an intersection of these different streets going together. And that's great because that's actually where God has placed you. That's, see, that's where your ministry flourishes. That's your sweet spot. And, and bec- the reason is because that's where your areas of expertise is, your passion, your experience, your influence, it's in those particular spheres. Now, if you've not yet taken the cultural streets test, I encourage you to do so. It's, uh, it's available through our City Life app as well as if you go to our website, uh, which is the, web, the Cultural Streets website, which is ours, culturalstreets.com. You can go to that website and you can take the test there as well. But today I'm going to focus on one of those cultural streets, and I'm going to talk about the cultural street of family. Now, here's the interesting thing about family. All of us, in one way or another, we are a part of family, but not everyone is called to the cultural street of family, but some are. Many of you are. Uh, in fact, we, we like to say that the cultural street of family has a very specific commission. And the commission, if this is where your heart is with family, your commission is this, and get this in your heart, it is shaping families to be on mission to serve Jesus. It sounds broad, but it's actually very powerful because you're shaping, your hands are involved in it, families to be on mission. That means taking action to serve Jesus is just make Jesus known. So your life responsibilities, your, your, current, uh, your current experiences, everything you're going through, your, your wisdom and your insight, it might actually go right into this family cultural street. And if it's, that's you today, today, especially with that, I want to call you out. <laughs> I, because I want you to flourish on that family cultural street. And over the next several weeks, off and on throughout the year, uh, I'll, I'll be talking about other cultural streets. But this is the one I want to, to emphasize today. Uh, in fact, I'm going to have a, a, uh, a family in this church who's actually thriving on the cultural street of family. I'm going to have them share their story with you uh, a little bit later today so that you can understand a little bit more of how this can function. Now, every single one of our cultural streets, every single one of us have a calling when we're on it, and we call it our cultural streets calling. Here it is, very, very explicit. We ask this question to ourselves. What is a specific toxic culture I am called to change? Because we all are to be change agents out there in the world, okay? So every cultural street has some toxic culture in it. And when you brush up against it, you know it irritates you, right? And so you know that you may have something to, to, uh, to plant into that, some way that you can um, change and shape and you're, you actu- you're actually uniquely positioned to be there to do it. God puts you there to influence, shape, and change culture. So whether it's 
business or health and vitality, arts and entertainment, the question that you need to ask yourself on your cultural street is this next question. Here it is. This is important. What can I do to be known more for what I'm for than what I'm against? I'll say it again. What can I do to be known more for what I'm for than what I'm against? What would that, what would that be for you on your cultural street? Now, for me, as a pastor, I want to be said, I, I would like to say I am more for the church and the building up of the church than I am against a particular, uh, than I am against, let's say, the church of Satan, okay? If I got up here every Sunday and preached about the evils of the church of Satan, you'd go, yeah, okay, great, 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 but see, I wouldn't be building up the church. And, 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 and it's in the same way, I could talk about the devil. I'm against the devil. Of course I'm against the devil. I mean, duh, but I'm, but I'm going to talk more, and I'm going, I want to be known more for what I bring of Jesus into the picture, correct? So a lot of times, uh, historically, a lot of Christians and, uh, and, and the Christian movement has been known more for what they're against than what they're for. And that's something I ask us to, to be very, very aware of when we are functioning on our cultural streets. And so when it comes to the family cultural street, we're going to be talking today about something that we want to be more for than we're against. And uh, I'm going to talk about a sensitive topic today. I, I hope that you'll engage with this and hear me out, but this is the topic of marriage and divorce. When it comes to the family cultural street... I want to be known more for encouraging healthy marriages than for being a person who is adamantly against divorce. Do you see the difference there? That's really what I want to be known for. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Hell wants to mess up relationships. And hell's favorite relationship to mess up is the marriage relationship because it's so core to the stability of our society. I want, I want to just expose hell's agenda. Here, here it is. This is, this is the, the agenda of hell. Here's how hell hinders. First of all, you desire to be a light. You do. So that's you. You're right at the top. You desire to be a light. But then relational pain comes in. And if that relational pain is not dealt with, then it becomes relational fracturing and there's a breaking. And then as a result of that comes despair. And shame basically ends in hopelessness. That is how hell hinders, and that is his agenda against you right there, and I want to expose his agenda to you so that you can very clearly see what's going on here. Now, now I'm going to see that, those, that agenda right there. This is found in all relationships, and every single one of us, we are somewhere on this continuum all the time. We're always, we're always dealing with it because hell is constantly assaulting us, but Hell's going to push its greatest effort against marriage relationships. Now, divorce is a tough topic. Uh, the reason it's a tough topic is because everyone in here, to some degree, has been affected by divorce, either directly or indirectly. I also know there's a lot of emotion surrounding divorce. And, uh, and I need to be clear about something. I believe that the church has historically handled divorce incorrectly. You'll hear more about that in a second here. Now, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, we see an instance where Jesus was confronted by 
a religious leader trying to push him into the corner on the topic of divorce because it was a hot topic back then as well. It says, in Matthew 19, 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Okay, haven't you read? Jesus replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, I want to break this down very quickly for you. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, that's, that statement right there of Jesus is the definite, it, it really addresses a lot of issues in our current society, such as gender issues, as well as a definition of marriage. It's all right there. Very, very simply uh, explained by Jesus. But I want to break it down for just a minute. He, he really gives marriage a definition, and it's this. It is to leave and be united. So you leave your current situation and you establish a new family. And I'd say that's pretty simple. Um, But this came from Jesus Christ himself. So that's what marriage is. But you look at the word be united. We get the leave part pretty easy. He's like, yeah, you're wanting out of your parents' house. That's fine, okay. But the be united what does that mean? Well, a really interesting word was selected here <laughs> in the language this is written in because it means to glue. So when you get married, you're getting glued to the other person. Have you ever glued two pieces of paper, pieces of paper together? Yeah, when, when, I was, when I was a kid, I remember we had two things in school. We had glue and we had paste. And I hated paste because it was like, <laughs> nothing happened with it. I was like, what is this? Give me glue. I would go crazy with glue. I had fun with it. And I'd, I just glued all kinds of stuff. It was fun. I still get tempta- tempted just to glue stuff. I just like it. But what happens if you glue two pieces of paper together and let it sit for a while? The two papers become inseparable, right? Okay. Now, that's actually what marriage looks like according to Jesus. So, they're inseparable, so therefore, Jesus say, when you're married, you become one flesh. That terminology that Jesus used right there that's, that's from the original language, that means that you're like a single human being. You're not one spirit because you still have your separate spirits. We are all have our individual spirits. In other words, we all answer to God individually. But the glue of marriage makes it as if the two people are one person. And that's what we've got to see marriage as. That's actually why we actually take a marriage surname and make it the common name. It's like, yeah, we are together this name right here. And Jesus says that if you've been glued together in marriage, becoming like one person, don't separate Why does he say that? Well, have you ever taken those two pieces of paper that you glued together and tried tearing them apart? What happens? Last week I sealed an envelope 
without putting my enclosure in it. And I caught it about 10 seconds later and said, oh, great, great, I can open it up. And that, it was just, it was like shredding the envelope, you know? I tried to unseal it, but I couldn't unseal it without damaging it because of the glue. Now, I, I say this with all sensitivity, but divorces like that, um, it's a mess and it really does tear people up. So you look at this, I mean, no wonder God doesn't want us to be divorced. He doesn't want that for us because divorce injures people, the partners and the children. And and the thing is, nobody comes out unscathed from divorce. In fact, the scriptures even tell us another reason that he gave us us, uh, a marriage is that God gave us this marriage so it would be an illustration of the covenant of love he has for us. So in other words, so how we could understand how God interacts with us in a covenant relationship. And so it's like, he's the groom and we're the bride and, and, and he, here's the deal. It's like, he's gonna stick it out with us even in our darkest days and we're gonna stick it out with him. You get that? Okay, now when you begin to see it like that, so God says, okay, I'm gonna give you marriage to be an illustration of that. But, if marriage is the example of that, of how God interacts with his bride, the church, but at the same time, we all experience fractured marriages and divorce, then what ends up happening is our perception of God becomes tainted because the illustration isn't there for us. Because then you begin to see God's love is just conditional. It's not covenantal. So, God wants us to have healthy marriages, and that's what I want as well. Yet at the same time, in some church cultures, there's a lot of shame that's attached to divorce. And I want to be frank with you, I do not believe that should be the case. Honestly, um, I can't think of anything else where people historically have been shamed more in the church than with divorce. And I'll tell you this, it's just not right. It's not right. The truth is, divorces happen. Some of you have walked through it, and you know it's not fun. And you wouldn't wish it on someone else. But some people using flawed, even unscriptural logic they'll come to conclusions saying, well, divorcees in the church are somehow evil and we should kick them out of the church. And, and I'm telling you guys, that flies in the face of everything that the gospel of Jesus presents to us. Interestingly enough, I'm a student of, of God's word. Interestingly enough, divorce was actually more acceptable in the Old Testament Jewish law than it is in some churches in the United States of America today. That just shouldn't be the case. So what am I going to say? As a result of that, my focus will always be fueling healthy marriages, divorce prevention, and healing and restoration for people who are injured by divorce. That's what the church is about. The greatest obstacle to, in in marriage, really comes down to this issue of unresolved conflict and pain. Uh, Working through... And resolving conflict, it's critical. 
in all relationships. Dealing with disagreements, forgiving faults, uh, not expecting perfection from the other person, not holding debts over one another's heads. And here's the truth. Every marriage, all marriages, all marriages face conflict and pain, all. There is no such thing as a conflict-free, pain-free marriage. It doesn't exist. Successful marriages are not conflict-free. Successful marriages are the one where both partners are mature enough to handle, to work through the conflict, and that's part of what the church does is to, to prepare you and to challenge you with that and to give you the tools, the resources, and the relationships to help make that happen. In fact, I teach this in our premarital sessions that, that I do. I, I teach how to communicate, how to deal with conflict and pain with one another. In fact, even as a Christian, Jesus never promised a conflict-free, pain-free existence. <laughs> I mean, in fact, he, he even said the opposite. He says, in your life, you're going to experience trials. But here's the deal. You can rejoice because he has given you the tools necessary to handle those conflicts well, as well as his presence, as well as his spirit, to move forward in your life. Now, here's the deal. Regardless of what has happened, when you begin to take these steps forward, then it's then that you actually begin to shine the light of God's real covenantal love to the world around us. And when the world sees us and they see that we are actually different, they're intrigued and they're attracted. So in spite of the relational pain that you have experienced, as horrible and as tragic as it is, God has a plan for you. It could have happened in your marriage. It may have happened in a romantic relationship. It may have even happened in the home you grew up in. You observed it. Well, I'm just telling you guys, there's hope today. There is hope. See, hopelessness overall is really rooted in relational pain of some sort. But there's a solution. Psalm chapter 147, verse 3. I like this. The songwriter says this. It says, he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. God wants to heal you regardless of what you've experienced, regardless of what you've done. (laughs) Guys, that's why we have the church, and it's a beautiful thing. The church is not here to shame people, but to bring healing. The church is here to restore hope. I I challenge every one of you to, if there's hopelessness in your life, look back at the relational challenges that may have brought that in. And I'm asking you to reject hopelessness rooted in relational conflict and pain and begin to put it behind you because hopelessness is not gonna be your friend anymore. (laughs) I like this one particular Psalm of David where he talks about being in a slimy pit. It's in the Bible, in a slimy pit. And uh, when I was was a kid, we used to sing this song in church about, about, uh, it came from the King James version of it, but but we were singing about about being in the miry clay. And I was like, ooh, I hate singing about that song. I say, daddy, I don't want to sing that song in church anymore. I don't want to be stuck in some miry clay, but I love it now because actually the term slimy pit sounds pretty good. It's kind of like a place where a mud fight would happen, all right? (laughs) Get that in your head? Okay, it's a little better now. Look at this. David says this. He lifted me out of the slimy 
pit out of the mud and mire. And I like to add the word muck in there. Mud, muck, and mire. They didn't let me write this. You know, David had to write it, not me. So, but lifted me out of the mud and mire and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. (laughs) That's what God wants to do to you. Out of your relational pain, the relational pain is like that mud. It's like that mire. It's like that slimy pit. And he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And here's, how, here's what happens. So God lifts you up. He pulls you out. He makes you stable again. He cleans you up. And it says, and you're, and you're singing, and you're happy. And now it says, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Right there is exactly why cultural streets exist. You're a light now. And that is God's plan for you. That is God's desire for you. And when God comes on the scene, you get lifted up out of your mud pit. So here, regardless of your past, regardless of your pain, regardless of your fears, there's hope for lasting love. Today I'm going to have an interview with Richard and Barbie Armenta, and I would love it if you guys would come to the platform right now. In fact, congregation, will you guys welcome Richard and Barbie? Come on, make them feel welcome. Come on up here, guys. As you're coming up, I just want to uh, I, I just want to thank you for taking the time to, to be with us today and to and to to talk through some really fun stuff here, because uh, because. Man, you know, divorce is is a tough thing, and and <laughs> and I think you guys know a little bit about it. But let me tell you about these guys. I like them a lot. All right. Uh, well, I like a lot of people a lot, but I like these guys a little extra special. See, because we share a granddaughter. Yes. Yeah, we share this beautiful little granddaughter, a little Olivia, who who I'm so glad is over there. Hello, baby Olivia. Yay! That's that. Yeah, that's Take our granddaughter. Yes, yes. She so she's listening to her grandparents' voices, going, "Oh, that makes me so happy." Yes, that's <laughs> right. I I know that's exactly what she's thinking right now, but uh, but I love these guys. Uh, I, I met. I, I remember when I first met Richard, and uh, and Richard was was grilling my son Preston <laughs> on making sure he was ready to get married, and I just I just sat back and I loved it. I was like, that's it, that's it. Go after the boy because <laughs> he's gonna get it from both ends. Come on, <laughs> make him sweat, make him sweat. That's good. I, I love that, um, but but I love it because you're actually presenting even something to him at that time out of your own experience, out of your own life, yes. and. And it's, it's really awesome because I would say that the family, the cultural street of family, is one that these guys are really, really living on. And they're making a difference in it. Uh, they've authored this book called The Right Combination. In fact, I really hope you guys will pick this up on your way out today. Uh, and, and, I, and I absolutely love it. I really love the book. So, so what I want to do here, let's just have a little bit of fun here. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna start a sentence. I want you guys to finish the sentence. Okay. So okay. all right. So here's here's the, I'll start with you. Start with you, Richard. Here's the sentence. People think marriage is what? Fifty fifty. Fifty fifty. Good one. Good one. Yeah. Good. One. How many of you think that? Don't don't raise your hands because <laughs> there's a right answer. Marriage really is the what? One hundred. One hundred. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Let's do another one. Okay. okay. People think marriage is. A piece of paper. A piece of paper. Ooh. <laughs> Not a piece of cake, but a piece of paper. Uh, I like that. And, and what, what would you say, Barbie? What, so marriage really is what? A covenant between us and God. 
Nice. See, she listened to my sermon. No, I think you already knew <laughs> yes, that. But, okay, let's do, let's do another one, okay? You ready for another one? Sure. People think marriage is a Hollywood fairy tale. You complete me. Ooh, good. <laughs> but marriage really is what? It is two people that are whole and complete, lacking nothing. Yeah. That can bring alongside each other. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Your book, um, The Right Combination, this is a, this is a very raw um, and vulnerable story. It's, it's really a story of hope. Yes. And, uh, and for those of you who haven't met these guys or gotten to know them, uh, I'd like for you guys just to share a little bit about your journey. Richard, you want to just tell us a little bit about, a bit about your story? Yeah, sure. I think people see us now and they think, see this couple living a Christian life, you know, and, but what they don't know is I come from a crazy past, uh, you know, crazy past that, that actually ended in me just, I was a, using a lot of drugs and ended me being in a faith-based treatment center. Mm-hmm. And you can only imagine the things that come with that. So you can read about it in the book, but God brought me that to this hope and he met me there. Uh, you know, in there, and he revealed himself to me, and I surrendered everything to him. It's just one of these Saul to Paul moments for me, and I just like surrendered everything, including my dating life. So I come out of there not having any sex outside of marriage, and along that journey, walking that journey, I meet my now wife and Good. share with her this is how I'm living my life, and I would like for you to join me in this journey. Beautiful, nice summary, but yeah. <laughs> so tell me, tell us a little bit about your journey. For me, I had, when I met Richard, unfortunately, I had been divorced not once but twice. And I, it's hard for me to not want to justify it and explain and, and let you know how I got there. But at the reality is that's where I ended up, and right. we all took a different road to get there. But So I was a single mom raising three boys and holding on to God with everything, from taking care of them, taking care of my finances. But the dating thing, I still thought after the two divorces, I still had that under control. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I was online dating, and thankfully that God will meet us right where we are. And so one day I got an email from uh, that said the subject line was "Padlock looking for the right combination." Oh, <laughs> what a tagline! <laughs> like that. <laughs> and dun da da da, <laughs> you figured it out. And here we are. I love it. I love it. Was there? Um, but was there a point where you maybe thought or believed that there was no hope for? love again? Oh, 100%. I thought it was too late for me. I thought I'd blown it, that God couldn't use me, that God couldn't give me that love wow. of my life anymore. And But what I really held on to was um, John 10, 10. Yes. You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, yes. but I have come yes. that you may have life and have it abundantly. abundantly. yes. And he doesn't say, unless you've been divorced, you know, that was... Um, oh, and you, that is so, <laughs> so right. That is so, so right. There is not an exception clause in there, guys. Yeah. I mean, preach it. That is so good. Well, what about you? I mean, did you ever get to that point, Richard, where you thought, well, I'd... I just don't know if love is ever even out there for me again. You know, I, I don't think I ever had that thought ever cross my mind. I don't think that love is ever, was ever out there for me again. What I was really thinking is, will I be ready for it when it comes? Yeah. You know, and so that's what I was really focused on. Who am I? You know, and, and, and trying to get to the spot where I'm going to be that person for somebody. And when she arrives, will I be ready? Mm-hmm. So what was the greatest lesson that you learned in getting back out there relationally? Man, I think the greatest lesson that I learned was really uh, just kind of, um, you know, surrendering everything to God, you know, and just being yeah. and, and being uh, really obedient and patient for his timing, mm. you know, and just uh, just following what he's leading me, just me and Christ alone. I need to figure that out who I am, just me and yeah. Christ 
and then being obedient in what he's calling me to do and being patient for his timing because I was wanting somebody now. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and that's usually the way it is. So what, what, what about your, your situation? I mean, what lesson did you learn about trying to get back out there relationally? The biggest lesson for me was probably just that you can't put God expectations on a person mm, because I was broken after my divorce, but I was looking for a person to tell me that I was worthy, that I was valuable. And the problem with letting that, giving someone permission to tell you you're valuable is that you also give them permission to take it away. That's mm. good. That's good. So. good. Good. I love that. I love that. Uh, what would you say to somebody who's been through relational challenge or even divorce and they're dealing with heartache and pain and hopelessness and and they're hesitant to love again what would you say to them that it's not too late oh that's good god's still in the business he's our redeemer that he can redeem and restore no matter where we are no matter what we've been through that he can still redeem and restore our lives Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what about you richard what would you say to someone who's gone through some pain and they're they're hesitant to love yeah Man, I would just say that even through these those difficult times that uh, you just have to remember that God is with you. God is for you. Yeah. He is never going to leave you nor forsake you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that, that he's going to restore and give you back what the locusts have eaten. It kind of talks about in the Bible yeah. about that. Uh, and as uh, any single ladies out there maybe divorced now, it's like I said, mm-hmm. your man is watching. So yeah. he's, he's out there. He's been redeemed. He's restored. And he's being patient to find the person that's walking this out and ready to walk it out with him. Good, good, good. So... Your book's called The Right Combination. What is the right combination? What is that? I say Ecclesiastes 4.12. You know, it's that three-strand cord that's not easily mm-hmm. broken. It's like finding, you know, focusing on Christ, putting God center in everything you do. I'm not focused on my spouse. She's not focused on me. Yeah. We're focused on Christ. And as we grow closer to Christ, we grow closer as one. And we become this three-strand, almost this trinity, almost like yeah. God's trying to say, this is it. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I love that because... What you just said there—it's not about trying to focus so much on the other person. Uh, I, in fact, I've always I've always done this like with with uh, premarital counseling. Sometimes I'll draw a little pyramid and I'll just say, you know, God's up here and here's you and here's the other person. And if you guys just focus on getting closer to God together, you're going to get closer together. And, and it really does work that way. It's not doesn't work logically. I mean, the world doesn't tell you that, but it's true. What do you say is what? What is the right combination? What, is, does, what does that mean? I was letting him answer because I'm like, I'm going to say the same thing, but that is, you know, what um, even in the, the book, the, the, what the publisher had said was when we were, we realized that God, our love combined with God's love was mm-hmm. the right combination. Yeah, uh, and, and I that's like that. It. It's staying focused on him. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, that kind of goes back to the, the, the title of that email, which, uh, which he <laughs> said to you, which uh, I love how the story loops around. It's, it's a great, great story. I thought about this, though, is that uh, you know, when you think of a lock, would you ever go and buy a combination lock that only has two numbers on it? You wouldn't, would you? If it doesn't have at least three, you're not going to get it. Why? Because anyone can hack into something like that and break the lock, get into it. But if you got three, then you have at least a thousand different combinations, and it's not going to be too easy. And it's, it's, it's like that three three strand cord right there. So, wow, I love it. I, I just I, I love I love what you guys are doing because you have your own careers and you're 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 working in the business world, but but you also are taking this cultural street of family and you're you're ministering to people in the midst of it. And I know it's been tough. You guys have been all over the state and 
in Oklahoma and I don't know maybe Kansas too doing TV interviews and stuff like that with this book and and uh, that's not been an easy thing to do but but you're doing this to get the word out to help people and I bless you for that and I appreciate what you're thank doing you. thank you so much. and I, I really recommend that you know it's just this is not a book drive but man if you can get this book I, I'd encourage you to do it this is a story of some people right here in our church and uh, get this book out there in the in the in the foyer uh, even if you're engaged, thinking about getting married, good stuff in here. But what I want you guys to do, I want you to pray. Richard, I want you to pray. And Barbie, I want you to pray. Will you just pray blessing over people who may be in any one of those places of a fractured relationship? Or maybe they've not even gone through divorce, but they just don't, they're worried about what that future looks like. And people in here need healing. That hopelessness, that despair, yes. that shame. Um, that's what the church is for. Will you, will you lead us in prayer, Richard? Yeah, sure. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just want to take this time just to, just to give you thanks and praise for who you are. And give thanks to Pastor Tim that he tackles a subject like this, one that is just covered in shame in so many places that he's willing to go there. Uh, and Father, so we just give you thanks for that. And Father, I just want to pray over everybody in the here, all the Jesus. people of this congregation, Father, that are going through difficult times, whether it's divorce, maybe a drug addiction, maybe abortion, maybe something that they've walked through, Father. I just want you to put their hand, your hand of grace and mercy upon them, Father. Your uh, your hand of love upon them, Father, yes. and remind them, Father, that. There is no sin that is that keeps them from heaven. Yeah. That he sacrificed his son. All the sins that you put at the foot of the cross have been forgiven. Uh, Father, so we ask them to remind them of that today. They are not forgotten. They are not forsaken, Father God, and that you love them. They're perfectly and wonderfully made. Amen. And the matter yes. of fact is they are more than worthy to be used. Yeah. So many people, Father, think they're unusable. Mm. I used to think I was unusable. And so, Father, remind them today that they're beautiful. Remind them today that they're loved. Remind them today that they are usable, Yeah, Father. And we just pray these things in your son's precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes. Yeah, amen, amen. There is hope, right? Yes. There is hope. Yes. There is hope. You guys are a shining example of it, and I'm just so, so blessed that you are able to share your story, not just with us, but in detail in here. So God bless you guys. Thank you. While, while you're heading back to your seats, I, uh, church, I just want to just, I want to remind you of something. We're all under an attack. It's constant. I mean, it's just the world that we live in. I want you to take a look at this the screen because hell is fighting you. Hell is fighting these relational attacks, and I want you to remember his battle plan. This is how hell hinders, okay? You desire to be a light. You do. You want to express your purpose in this world, but relational pain comes. It's not dealt with. It, become, it comes relational fracturing, and then the end result of that is often despair, shame, and hopelessness, and, and it's, it, it, the truth is, it's like we're kind of always on in one of those four areas, <laughs> but that's hell's attack. If you're on, wherever you are on that grid, don't be ashamed of that. Just know that, okay, hell's attacking me. Doesn't want me to have healthy relationships. But God has a battle plan as well. Here's the good news. God has this battle plan. And Richard and Barbie described it well. Here's how God works. First of all, he calls us to be light. His ambassadors in this world. But then pain and fracturing does come to our lives. 
but he brings healing. He brings hope. And then as a result of that, we become a light of hope for other people. Guys, that's what it's about. Let your light shine. Shine on your cultural street. And and understand this, is that your light will probably shine brightest in the place of your greatest pain. So let God start bringing some healing right now so you can shine brightly and you can put your feet on the street and shine for Jesus. That's my challenge for you today. Before we leave here today, I'd like for there to be no movement at this time and just take a moment, close your eyes and focus internally because you might be here today and you have yet to completely surrender your life to Jesus. Possibly you've drifted from relationship with God and If you want to know the Jesus that we talk about here and make him the Lord of your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond before we go any further. And I want you to know this. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine, and he died for you so that you can have life, life to the full, and can shine his light from you. And today, it's just just time to live. So if you'd like to be included in this closing prayer to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, When I count to three, lift your hand up high so that I can see it. That way I'm going to connect my faith with yours and we'll be able to pray together. And light change happens in this room today. If that's you, you're ready to make the change and serve Jesus, have your sin forgiven. Would you lift your hand? One, two, three. Lift it up high. Lift it up high so I can see it. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Would you pray this prayer with me? If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this prayer. In fact, church, I want you to pray it as well as encouragement to those who are praying this prayer right now, giving their lives to Christ. So please stand. Everyone stand. Pray this out loud with me. Dear Jesus. Someone say, Dear Jesus. Thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the son of God. Please forgive my sin. Today I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me life. I choose to be your light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. You know what? Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.